0: and welcome to Project Performance. This podcast is brought to you by IADT Radio Society and IADT Students Union. I am your host Cathy Anne Murphy and today's topic is opera as performance. I will also be joined by a stellar young opera singer Olivia Sheehy. Again if you'd like to get involved in this discussion you can tweet us or tag us on Instagram or Facebook. Opera is an art form that tells a story through music and singing. Unlike musicals, opera singers do not use microphones to amplify their voices and the music played by the orchestra is completely live. Opera is a key part of Western culture and is usually a fully sung piece of performance originating from Italy in the late 16th century. It then spread amongst Europe. A composer I am very familiar with is Henry Purcell, who was one of the main composers who helped establish the art form in England. The words within the songs of an operatic piece are called the libretto, and usually a composer would work alongside a libertist to create their work. Before I move on to talk about more terminology surrounding opera I would like to speak about design of this practice. I mentioned that I am familiar with Henry Purcell and the reason for this stems from my experience working in the Ream operas The Fairy Queen during my time in IADT directed by Conor Hanretty it was a great experience and it filled me with the knowledge of not just the compositional elements of an orchestra singers etc but also the spectacular design needed for an operatic performance if you study design or art or a working artist when you use pinterest and other image generating tools you will more than likely be met with some spectacular opera sets in the arts newspaper article Opera as Art, The Rise of the Artist as an Impresario by Sam Brown. They speak of Marina Abramovich's opera, The Seven Deaths of Maria Callas, with a socially distanced audience in Munich during the pandemic. So, why was an artist interested in being amid an operatic production? Daniel Kramer, the former Artistic Director of the English National Opera, ENO, says that for artists, it all begins with the music. Kramer has enjoyed collaborations with several artists, including Anish Kapoor. Marina Abramovic said it's a very big and huge risk to give an artist an entire opera. To justify this enormous investment, Khan says the work has to be theatrically interesting and the artist must be specifically interested in the opera and what an artist can bring is to question things in opera that people who are working on it do not normally question so basically they strip away the idea of a hierarchy within the operatic system the director was in collaboration with the artist and In this way has aided the artist's vision at their own expense. Evidently an artist may not have an operatic background or training or theatre experience to design a piece to this scale but it's by the investigation that Marina formed of a living space, a living piece and not just an installation. Last week I spoke to Paul about ensemble and the issues of collaboration in a hierarchy setting in theatre or film which happens all the time, especially professionally. Usually the designer would lead from the director who would then be led by the performers. On occasion the connection can be strained or possibly not there at all which can then lead to a disjointed design. But what is even more interesting is the relationship between the performer and the production and the creative team. Our topic for this week is Olivia Sheehy's performance of Smani in Plaque by Mozart. You can find it on our social media accounts. We can see in this video that she not only is skilled and trained that she can perform this piece but also the use of it being digital. So due to the pandemic evidently she performed this piece for a bursary competition and then used as an online platform thus engaging a wider audience. Interesting amongst itself and she needed to create a setting and ultimately direct herself in time of isolation. So how did she find this inspiration? Did she engage with her knowledge of working with producers, of working with drama teachers and so forth? To discuss this topic further, I am now joined by Olivia Sheehy. Olivia Sheehy is a mezzo-soprano, currently a fourth-year student in TU Dublin Conservatory of Music and Drama, studying for her bachelor's in music performance. She always has been drawn to music and creative performance, beginning singing and drama lessons at age eight. She is a Fesh Kjol, New Ross, Kilcool, and Arklow Music Festival prize winner in both solo and ensemble performances. She was lucky enough to perform at the National Convention Centre, the National Concert Hall, Family House and the Borgosh Energy Theatre, to name a few while no genre of music was off limits growing up olivia has now set her sights on a career as an opera performer so i go way back with olivia she he we were both in the same choir, the Penston Vocal Academy in Arclow with Neve Penston. We have also worked on numerous things together, including she helped me with my Jacqueline Hyde performance uh, piece, I suppose, for college. She was one of my models and characters. And we have just always kept contact over the years, especially when it comes to the arts and performance. So hello, Olivia. So I guess to start us off, Olivia, could you tell us a little bit about your background, where you study your interest, I guess, to kind of start us off.
1: Sure. So, um, as you said, I'm studying to be an opera singer. I'm a mezzo-soprano. And I've, uh, like you said, I've always been drawn to music. I've been doing that since I was very young. Um, When I was eight, I started singing lessons and drama, and I was involved in, you know, I was that very stereotypical artsy kid. I was involved in everything. I was in drama, musicals, bands, like, any sort of genre of music, like you name it, I probably have some sort of experience in it in some form or another. Um, it was just something that, you know, really spoke to me. So again, started studying when I was eight, and then all the way up through um, sort of my school years, I did, you know, competitions, grade exams. And then I got into college, which was great. <laughs> I didn't think I'd get in. And it's sort of just been going from there, just trying to keep working as much as possible, really.
0: Cool. So I guess, you know, when we're in our college, we had to put a portfolio together. It was an interview process and similar to a lot of different courses, there's an audition process for, you know, acting colleges and so forth. So what was the process of getting into DIT? Did you have an audition? Did you have an interview? What, what was expected of you?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, quite similar. Um, we went in, we had to do two pieces and I wasn't classically trained or anything. Like I did singing lessons, but as far as opera repertoire, I was not trained. But I was like, oh, sure, I'll just give it a go. So I went in and sang my pieces and we had an interview and then an entrance exam on music theory, which I'm amazed that they let me get in on the basis of that because my music (laughs) theory knowledge is, oh subpar. But either way, they liked something that I did in the audition room, so they let me in.
0: It sounds like a tough process. And I think everyone, especially in the artistic world, can relate to this, you know, this audition process and interview process to get to where you want to get. And then when you're there you're delighted, you're happy that you found your kind of tribe. And I guess for you, were you always interested in music? Was it something that you always wanted to pursue, especially opera? Did you have any knowledge of opera before deciding to do this course?
1: I mean, music as a whole, I was definitely always interested in, but opera and classical music, it was just, I think I just subconsciously got into it because my parents absolutely love. The art form of opera so music from operas were always on when i was a child and i actually got to see my first opera when i was i think i was six years old and by some weird like sheer look i was on um, a holiday with my family when i was six years old in verona and i actually got to see a production of aida in the big um teatro arena in um verona which was insane and I remember, like, I think you had to be eight years old to go and see the production, but everyone was just like, no, just, if anyone asks you're eight, and I was six, I didn't know what was happening, I didn't know what opera was. And I remember, like, my uncle was sort of trying to explain to me, like, oh, it's sort of like, um, like, like a story, but with song, I was kind of like, oh, okay. And I just, I think they were worried that, like, I would just get bored, but no, I just was, I became engrossed in it, it really held my attention. I don't know if just subconsciously at that age I sort of put that in the back of my mind like oh that's really cool it's just like a storybook or like a fairy tale but you get to sing this really cool stuff and act out this and yeah I think then as I got older and sort of continued on with my music training the music just appealed to me more um and I think it suits my voice more than like musical theater which I also loved and I did lots of that growing up and then when it came time to choose what course I wanted to do uh, TUD was the best fit for me really
0: really cool and I guess you know it's similar to most artists and we spoke about this on numerous episodes I think it's something that needs to be highlighted really in the educational system and maybe it'll change now that things are different with COVID hopefully things might change but it's something that's been highlighted quite a lot that these kind of art forms aren't really represented in education so for instance you know it in terms of art so in terms of design and theater it is rarely something in, in college and so something in secondary school that you are looking towards to pursue if that's the way best way of putting it it's not something that it's what everybody wants to do but possibly some schools more than others you know, there's a bit of uh, a backing there or a bit of an interest there to push students to follow those careers. Uh, maybe it's down to background, maybe it's down to your own personal upbringing and what you're interested in. But in terms of opera, obviously there's very little opera available in school, whatever about outside of school, you know, going to classes and, and getting trained. But in school, it's, it's very little, especially in music and, and in how music is, is taught in school. So for you, like, was that a huge jump? Um, were you interested in music in the school or did you find that you were always wanting to do something else, if that makes sense?
1: Oh, definitely. Like, I think another big factor in me deciding to, do, to fully pursue it, because I think, I think there's just, I had that moment where you're like, oh, am I really going to try and do this as a career? And I sort of remember being 16, 17 in my final years of secondary school and just being so bored and just unfulfilled <laughs> with what we were doing. And I was like, there's no way I can go to college and pursue something. Not that I'm not academic, like I love, I love the pursuit of knowledge and reading and all that. But I was just like, no. I just can't I need to do something creative because I just if something does not interest me at all it's very hard for me to be you know enthusiastic about it and the only time I really felt that I was doing something productive in school was if there was a creative aspect to it and like I remember I don't know if everyone does this the the, they're called I think the dat score or something and every I think uh, everything was just sort of like average and then it would be like creative and the bar would be like way out and like languages and arts it would all be like up in the top 90% and I was like well there's a clear sign <laughs> so yeah I think it, it it definitely was inevitable I think I sort of always knew that I I wouldn't like I just I couldn't see myself doing anything else honestly like they were like okay you, you can't do music what are you going to do I'd be like well then I'd go into the production side I'd go into I just yeah it, definitely inevitable oh god Um, I mean how do you explain that it's just it's it's gonna sound cliche but it really is this magical experience it's like you really to do a live performance you're sort of you're giving yourself permission I guess to go back to that almost that childlike state you know when you would you would be out playing and using your imagination and it's just so freeing and I think especially in like live performance in theatre, there's not that many spaces left in today's world where you sort of, you're allowed to sort of let go and just really just let your mind, your imagination take over and influence what you want to do. Even just seeing a live performance is just, it's again, it's just, it's magical. It's just, it's so, it's such a unique experience. It's very hard to explain. I just love that aspect of that. Anything goes really. Like no matter what's happening in the world, if you go and you either see a performance or you're in a performance, all that gets thrown out the window. And it's just that in the moment moment of like whatever character you're playing and you really, it's I guess a way of escaping, but it also feels very real as well. So it's it's a very strange phenomenon, but it's just, yeah, magical.
0: Cool. And something that I asked all my guests so far is, and it's a tough question, what is the best piece of live performance that you have ever seen?
1: God, that is a hard one. I mean, <laughs> oh, that is so hard. But um, one that I saw recently enough—I think it was a year ago, maybe two years at this stage. I don't know. Time is becoming more irrelevant as we get closer to Christmas. But um, it was—it um, was an opera production of this new opera by I um, think it was Brian Irvine and Nita Jones called "Least Like the Other," and it was put on by Irish National Opera. And it basically tells the story of Rosemary Kennedy, who was the sister of JFK, um, but had a very different life um, compared to him because she had learning difficulties at a young age. And um, she had a very, very tragic life, um, which led to, I think she was 23 years old and she had to get, and she was forcibly given a lobotomy. So, very, very heavy piece, but the music was very modern. And the production, they had these giant screens with projections. And there was only, I think, ever maybe four max people on stage. And it was just they incorporated dance and movement and different bits of dialogue. And there was a certain amount of improvisation in the music as well. And it was just, it was unbelievable. It was incredible. And I remember just sitting there afterwards and everyone in the audience was just like, oh, my God god what have we just witnessed this it was just incredible the performances were just oh they were top-notch
0: great and you know in terms of athletes in terms of even artists we all have to perfect our craft and there is a process in that and there is training and technique so in terms of becoming an opera singer what is needed you know what is the process what is the skills needed i for one know my cousin is also studying the course and um i know the 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 kind of intensity that is needed to really fulfill that craft so what is the process of that, if you could enlighten us a little bit.
1: Well, I think definitely if you're trying to develop a career, you have to know what your craft is. And obviously there's the whole, for a singer, there's the whole test, the technical aspects, like um, obviously you have to be, have your body in great shape because you need to be able to breathe correctly. And sometimes you'll be in productions where the director will have you doing mad things, but you still need to be able to sing. And then obviously developing your vocal range. um, obviously a lot of um operas are in different language so you have to have some form of knowledge of what the language means but also how to pronounce it correctly so people can understand what you're saying um and then i guess there's also with developing your craft is you have to sort of figure out what it is that makes your interpretation um unique what what do you have to say as as an artist because i think Uh, a trap that a lot of people can fall into is if they want to develop like their craft they automatically look at what other people are doing and they compare and sometimes they sort of copy but then that is not really an authentic development of your craft because then you're essentially becoming an imitation act so it's it's a lot of different things i mean it takes it takes years to be comfortable in and confident in your own i guess your the physical aspects of your technique. Like I'm I'm getting to a place where I'm confident that I know how to breathe correctly, that I am knowledgeable about um, the different librettos for operas and stuff, but also on the more personal aspect, I'm in that sort of wayward state where I kind of, I'm sort of just figuring out, I'm getting to the crux of what it is I want to say and how I'm going to put my own personality into my craft, because it's all well and good. You could have the best technique you could have, you know, you could go to the best school have the best training, but if you don't know who you are as an artist, then that's going to translate into your performances and they're not going to be authentic and they won't be satisfying for you or the audience really. So it's very important to take all those details, both the the sort of the internal preparation and the external preparation of your craft.
0: As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, it was the importance of the relationship between the artist, who might be the designer, then the relationship with the director, the production team, the extended team within the opera centre, possibly front of house, admin, etc. And then also the artists themselves, the singers, the dancers, the performers, the orchestra, whoever may be involved. What do you think is so important? Do you think it's important to build those relationships as a singer, as a performer?
1: Oh, definitely. I think it's very important um, to have those kind of relationships because I guess at the end of the day, you need to understand, like in a director's case, um, you need to understand where they're coming from. Like if they're giving you a direction and you're not too sure why they're giving it, you need to have that relationship where you're able to ask questions or you're able to sort of have this back and forth dialogue where both of you understand where you're coming from, either from the actor's perspective or um, the director's perspective. And it's just, I guess, building those relationships. Like it makes the atmosphere where you work, whether you're in a theater, on a set or wherever, um, if it's that kind of divide, I think um, it really does have an effect. Like obviously the the audience might not know that there's this divide, but you feel it yourself. if you're comfortable in a place and you feel that you have that freedom of, I guess, no judgment, where everyone gets to say their piece, everyone feels seen, then automatically those connections, they I think they definitely enhance the performance more. And yeah, I mean, it's just very important to, not so much, like obviously you don't have to know every single detail about the person, <laughs> like you don't have to be best friends with the stage manager or the director, but I think you need to have that mutual camaraderie, and that's sort of one of the best parts of working in this industry is getting to work with different people who, you know, they might not be a performer, they might be more behind the scenes, but it's so interesting to um have a knowledge of what everyone is doing, because all of these people when they put their work together that's what makes the production that's what makes the show like people might the audience will only see the finished project but it's the real sort of i guess the the amazing aspect is all the stuff coming together yeah i think less division is key i mean i know we all i think as both artists and people working in the field from technical aspects we can get a bit precious about our own sort of sector in the field like well i'm i'm the singer or i'm the this the stage manager the the head of props and sometimes that it doesn't really work if they're all separate i think it's better if people are everyone on the team is exposed to what everyone else is doing Um, I think it leads to better understanding and it's just, it's more interesting. Um, so I would say definitely less division. I think I love when one of the things I love is if I'm on a production, there's, um, sort of a a team meeting at the start where everyone comes in and the, you know, the director will say what the plan is. And sometimes the, the costume designer will, um, have sort of a little presentation about what they're doing, what inspired their costumes what they're hoping for and then the stage manager or the lighting director or the in the opera's case the conductor the musical supervisor will come in and explain you know the vision of the project which is great because then I think that remains in the back of the head of everyone at the meeting of like okay so at the start they said they wanted to achieve this how can I help them achieve that what's my what's my role in this how am I going to help them achieve that or is there something that I'm doing that maybe I thought was going to be my job but it might actually (laughs) hinder the process a bit so I love anything where I get to sit down with people from uh sort of the different different sides of opera and performance and I get to hear you know what their jobs are and what they're hoping for production and their process how they can like how the costume designers came up with it I just I find I find it so interesting being like Oh my god how did you come up with that that is amazing i would i would never have thought of that and um, i think it's just it fuels the creative process for everyone when everyone gets to come in and talk and connect
0: so just in terms of a design uh, process symbolism is a huge point in opera especially when it comes to representation through color so As a performer, and obviously you'd be dissecting the piece and the character, a little bit more about the character profile of a piece. So, why do you think symbolism is important?
1: Yes, um, definitely. Um, Symbolism can be extremely important, and often that's one of the fun parts of dissecting a piece. Um, Even from the compositional aspects, certain composers will use um, these dramatic devices of symbolism, Um, like, for example, if anyone knows anything about Wagner, the Wagnerian operas he uses these things called leitmotifs, which are basically these little sort of um, tiny little musical phrases that will keep coming back when a certain emotion comes back in the opera or a certain theme or a certain character. And they're usually dotted throughout the score. So that's sort of, I guess, not really an aspect that you might not notice all the time, but as a performer, when you see that you're like oh so this means that that emotion is back or this character is feeling this now and in terms of set i love it when there's um sets that have symbolism even if like you don't realize it straight away um like i remember i saw a production of um cinderella the opera and i think it was in glenbourne and there was this little heart that they were passing throughout all the actors throughout the opera i didn't realize at the very start but it was just again that sort of i really i enjoy symbolism a lot because i think it creates this great um connection um throughout the story and i think when it's done well and it obviously it can be subtle but also recognizable at the same time i think it really does heighten the you know, the story that you're trying to tell, and it can make it that much more interesting. And it's also fun when you're like, oh, so that's why they're doing that. Oh, that's really interesting. I think, yeah, it can be very, very important in performance, especially in opera.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think in some productions, it becomes very clear if that um, cohesive relationship has been built through the production team with the actors, with the director, and so on. And it really makes a cohesive design, you know, piece of theatre, piece of performance. So a question I ask everybody is why do you think the arts are important or what do you think needs to change the mentality of the government to really, I suppose, nurture the arts and the importance of the arts in Ireland?
1: It's just, it is so important. Um, I think in Ireland there is a certain attitude where the pursuit of arts or people working in the industry there's still sort of stereotypical of like oh it's not a real job or it's more of a side gig but i don't think people realize no it's people's livelihoods like we go in we go in we know that there's not there isn't great money we know that there isn't support but we do it anyway because we're we're compelled to it's it's our calling basically and i think there needs to be more respect to the art form and definitely more funding and emphasis because you know yourself when there is a time of crisis or a time of celebration all the artists are rolled out like there'll be someone saying a Seamus Heaney poem in a politician's speech there'll be someone singing the parting glass when a politician comes to visit and it's only then I think that suddenly they're like oh we're the land of you know saints and scholars of artists of poets and it's like well act like that every day not just on the days where we're there to perform you know if you want to have a great arts industry and to be able to sort of be one of those countries where you think of um when you think of their contributions um in terms of the arts then you need that the you need that support you need the funding and the respect and the encouragement i think was a big thing that i saw during covid um is like we all saw that um, dance classes, singing classes um, they had to fight really hard to get um, permission for the kids to come in and have their lessons whereas um, I remember seeing our um, sort of advertising campaigns about the GAA and it was like a poster of a little girl with a hurl being like oh natural born talent back where it belongs I was like well how does that make the kids who want to be you know dancers or writers singers um artists how does that make them feel when they don't see that same support um and because it is it is it can be a very brutal industry it can be very isolating so i think definitely you need that support system and you need to know that you know you're going to be taken seriously when you know when you go and back to your family and they're like oh are you still at the singing it's like yes yes this is my chosen career yes yes it is and it is a career and it is something to be taken seriously
0: definitely i definitely agree with you there so just coming to the end of this episode could you tell us where we could find your work is there anywhere you know we, we've always um promoted our artists that we have on the show's work on instagram and facebook but is there any specifics of where we can find some of your work
1: yeah sure um instagram it's at positive cynic very yeah i sh- probably should change that <laughs> um, and then I'm heavily involved in the Operatic Society in TU Dublin. So if you just search Operatic Society TU Dublin on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you'll find find us there. And obviously any sort of performances that I do are usually uploaded there. So check it out and they they do some cool stuff.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so, so much for joining me today, Olivia. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe and keep creating.